Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, this is Mike Abrams from The Wrong Cat Died, and I'm here with... Hey, it's me, Chris Adams, one half of Out for Blood, the story of Carrie the Musical. And we are excited for this bonus episode of The Wrong Cat Died, where we're going to talk about the Out for Blood book and uh, Chris's experience and the podcast and cats and everything else. But we wanted to bring it to both of our listeners. So uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about the book and what we're going to hear. So if you're listening to this on the Out for Blood feed, you probably already know that um, Holly and I have spent a good two or three years exploring the history and mysteries of Broadway's greatest flop, Carrie the Musical. Um, And since then, I've written a book with even more interviews, even more backstage stories. And it made sense to chat with Mike uh, about our love of niche, bizarre 80s musicals. Yeah, and if you're listening to this on the Wrong Cat Died uh, feed, you will know that uh, Carrie, you might not know, but Carrie has a huge influence on the 80s musicals. And so we talked about that, the book, Cats, the musical, the crossovers between Grizabella's and Carrie's and all kinds of fun stuff. So enjoy this episode of the Wrong Cat Died discussing Out for Blood. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have another amazing guest. He is a fellow podcaster as part of the Broadway Podcast Network with a show called Out for Blood, which is exploring the debacle that was the Carrie musical. And he now has a book uh, about the show releasing in July called Out for Blood. And he discusses a little bit about how cats influence Carrie. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. So welcome, Chris Adams, and thank you for joining me. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I have a bit of imposter syndrome because... I love your show. I know your guests are always so amazing, and I've never been in Cats, and here I am. Yeah. So thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I so uh, it's fun for me because when I when I first started with the podcast network, with the Broadway Podcast Network, I had a lot of people kind of always talking about your show and my show oh, together. Wow. They were like, I think we were on the like yeah, the yeah. end of the spectrum for them. <laughs> of like the talking about one particular musical and one kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I had your show referenced to me all the time and I'm like, Oh, this is another one with a crazy story and another crazy oh, plot. Wow, cool. So I've, um, I've always kind of like been a fan of your show and known about it. And then when I heard you were doing the book, I was super excited because I've kind of always, you know, hoped to do a book someday as yeah, well. So I was like, we yeah. gotta, we gotta chat, but um, I'm less familiar with Carrie and I feel like a lot of my listeners might, might be more familiar. Yeah. So yeah. like, Tell me like about how you started 
your podcast yeah. and kind of digging into that leading to this book. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. We're, we're at the niche end of, uh, <laughs> of intense <Yeah. laughs> analysis of niche musicals, but yours is a bit less niche than Carrie. So, I, I mean, I guess this all started like um, many years ago when I was a teenager. I was a bit of a theater kid, as, as many of us were, um, but I also loved uh, reading Stephen King. And so um, at some point I was kind of fascinated to find that in the 80s they had made a musical of Stephen King's first novel, Carrie. Um, and if you know Carrie, it's it's kind of a, a weird topic uh, for a musical. Yeah, it's, it's quite <laughs> totally. Intense. Um, and you know, I, I lived in this quiet town in in the north of England. I was nowhere near Broadway for a start. Uh, but there was this book which I managed to get hold of, which was published in I think it was 1991 by a Broadway uh, writer called Ken Mandelbaum. And many, I'm sure many of your listeners will will know his work. But he wrote this book called Not Since Carrie. And the, the idea of the book was that he used Carrie as the kind of definition of the ultimate theatrical flop. Uh, and in the book, he kind of frames all of these other flops, but it kind of comes to the conclusion that no other show will be as big a flop as Carrie was. Um, and he talks about all these crazy things that happened on the show and how unusual the show was, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, it kind of sent me on this mission to find out as much about Carrie the Musical as I could. And I got hold of a video bootleg, an old school VHS, um, and kind of remember watching it open mouth because it was just this, you know, this bizarre, unusual show. Um, and I just kind of got this fascination with it and just wanted to find out as much about it as I possibly could. And I guess years later, skip forward a decade or so, uh, I met my good friend Holly Morgan, and we kind of watched the show. We were both, we did shows together at university, and we also became obsessed together with Carrie. And then skip forward more time, uh, we get to COVID-19. Um, by this time, you know, I worked in theatre off stage, but um, that meant I had no job for a long time. Um, Holly and Tom had kind of launched their own podcast uh, about a, di a different subject, but we were kind of talking about other things we could do. You know, they had the equipment, they had the kind of, they figured out how to make a podcast. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool to kind of look into Carrie and kind of bust some of the crazy urban legends that, that had been circulating all these years and, and talk to people who were there and find out if it was true. So yeah, we did. We kind of started reaching out to people involved in the show. And it turns out, you know, all of those people who, you know, usually working in theater, either on stage or off stage, they had nothing to do either. So everyone was kind of stuck at home looking to talk about this, this kind of industry that they were so passionate about. So people just agreed to talk to us and, and you've probably had the, you know, the same kind of thing where you're like, yeah. what is this amazing person doing on my, my show? Yeah. I mean, there was definitely the COVID boost of like yeah, everyone was yeah. home and they were, you know, they, they lost their stage. And so they're exactly. like looking yeah. for something. Um, so yeah, that was, that was very true. And yeah. I, I love the, like, you've had this festering with you for years <laughs> building up to the moment, um, which is kind of the opposite of mine where I'm like, I didn't even know about the show until 2016 and didn't even sure, think about it again sure. until 2019. And then all of a sudden now it's a hundred and whatever yeah. episodes deep of it. Yeah. Um, Amazing. So, so there's been some historic flops, yeah. but what makes this one so unique? <laughs> well, it was kind of, there's, we talk about this a lot in the podcast and now in the book, you know, that it's kind of the perfect storm of a flop musical in that everything that could have gone wrong sort of did go wrong. And there was so much going for the show in the first place. I mean, when you, when you say, you know, carry the musical, people are like, what? That's crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> but this, you know, if you try and explain the plot of so many of those crazy 80s musicals, you could have the same response. Not, you know, Cat's, 
you know, front and center. If you try and explain the plot of cats to somebody, it's absolutely crazy, right? And yeah, I've been trying. <laughs> you've been trying all this time. Um, and I think, you know, there were certain things about the plot of Carrie which made it slightly more undigestible for people in the 80s. But it, it was kind of, I think, a, a, a strange time. And this is something that we I tried to kind of look into a bit more in the book than we had time to do in the podcast, is, is kind of what drove this musical to exist at the time it existed. What was going on here in the UK where it first launched and then on Broadway in the 80s to kind of make this musical, make people think this could work as a musical and what made it flop so disastrously. Um, You know, this was the time of Cats. You know, Cats opened in London, I think, in 1981. uh, And it was a huge success over here and then opened, I think, the following year in New York. And it kind of redefined, you know, as as so many of your guests have said, it kind of redefined what Broadway was, you know, Mm -hmm. there wasn't really at that time such a thing as these long running mega musicals. And, you know, it was sold out continuously for so long. Uh, The tickets cost a fortune. It was everywhere. It was kind of welcoming a very different audience to to Broadway. You know, families were welcome. Um, It was very high tech. It kind of became this brand almost. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I guess it was like this early example of, of FOMO, you know, people felt like they had to see it or they were missing out. Yeah. And I think because of Cats, other Broadway composers and producers started to think about how they could reproduce the success of this this ginormous show. Um, and this is where I launch into the history of Carrie the Musical. So I don't know if you want me to go into this epic history well, or whether we'll get to that later. <laughs> I Well, I also want to save a lot of it because I think it's really yeah, interesting yeah. for people to listen to your podcast in the book, of like course. to read the book, yeah. I'd like to go into it. I think... I'm curious. So, Carrie, it, did it do well on the West End? So, it, before one of the kind of things people often misunderstand is that it never opened, never played on the West End. It played. Okay. Um, it was commissioned, co-commissioned by the Royal Shakespeare Company, and they're based up in the middle, what we call the Midlands. <laughs> so, kind of like halfway up the country in this town called Stratford upon Avon, which is like two, three hours away from from London. So, quite far away from you know the, the mm-hmm. testing ground of the West End. And that was part of why people were so surprised. Um, a couple of the reasons why people were surprised that this show existed in the UK. Firstly, it was being done by the Royal Shakespeare Company, whose remit obviously was usually to do Shakespeare. Uh, but also, it, was, it wasn't being tested in the way that you, you, know, you might test a Broadway show in London or the other way around. It was being tested in this small town where audiences were used to going to see, you know, Twelfth Night and Macbeth and stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this American horror story was being put on stage in musical form in front of them. And of course, you know, I don't, you know, it was there for three weeks or something, and it sold really well because it had uh, people who were very exciting to um, to British audiences. You know, it had people from Fame in it, and it was being, you yes. know, it, it had this kind of stellar cast and this amazing choreographer and Debbie Allen, who people knew really well from Fame too. Um, so it sold really well, but the critics absolutely mauled it. It was trashed beyond anything anyone had ever read about. And yet still they continued uh, and took it to New York. It's so I, this is this maybe <laughs> as you went through all of that, I'm like, did you just describe the most recent Cinderella and bad well, Cinderella? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as, it, it's the first thing in the book that is now out of date because as I was writing the book, he just announced yeah. that show was going to New York with a new name and now it's gone. So the book is already out of date. But uh, yeah, it was kind of the same thing. You know, it was 
I talked to Dean Pitchford. Um, we talked to Dean Pitchford, who's the lyricist of Carrie um, for the podcast. And one really interesting thing he talked about was how you test musicals and how you get a sense of how an audience is going to respond. And he described the feeling of he and his two writing collaborators standing at the back of the theatre in Stratford uh, thinking, this is the complete wrong place to test this musical for Broadway. Yes. This is as far away from Broadway as you could be. You know, if you test a show in Boston or Chicago or something, you're going to get a much closer idea of how a Broadway audience is going to react. And yet here they were in the middle of the British countryside testing this new yeah. Broadway mega musical. It's uh, so, I mean, this is where as someone who's not like a theater insider yeah. really knows, I mean, I've learned more over the years, like the, the past three years, but I, the business side of things is really fascinating. And I do think like I was confused when bad Cinderella, as much as I love bad Cinderella, yeah. I'm, I might be in the minority there, but I loved it. I thought it was really campy and fun. Um, but I like, I was like, why is this coming here when it did so poorly? Yeah. And they didn't really change much. They kind of just like made some adjustments. So you didn't really get a, you had a real test in there, yeah. but this is also with Carrie. It feels like some of it's right place, right time, because there's now like every, book and movie and everything turned into musicals. And like, there's a roadmap of success there. Mm. Whereas that wasn't as common when this happened, right? Like in, when they did it in the eighties, that wasn't, you know, there's not the um, pretty woman and Tootsie yeah, and yeah. every life of pie and every version of book or movie turned into yeah. musical that's yeah. possible. I think it's a really interesting point. I think, you know, it was an early example, I guess, of, of an IP based show you know uh, yeah. something that already existed but it was it was you know it was not an obvious thing to make a musical about i think now people are much more accepting of trying you know to do unusual stories on stage but this was the 80s when people were used to very comfortable show mm -hmm. you know shakespeare and revivals of comfortable musicals from the 50s and things on broadway this was a show about you know a girl who has telekinetic powers triggered by her first period, who kills all their classmates. You know, this was not uh, comfortable material for Broadway. And, you know, you begin to think that's maybe why it didn't do so well. But yeah, I mean, that, like, like Cinderella, not much was changed between London and, and New York. Um, a big change was the replacement of one of the leading ladies, um, Barbara Cook, who played Margaret White, Carrie's mother in the UK, pulled out of the show because she hated it, basically. Yeah. And she was replaced by Betty Buckley, who you all know from the Cats universe, um, yeah. was, was big on Broadway, especially at that time, only a couple of years after originating Grizabella in the Broadway cast of Cats. Mm -hmm. So there's your first Cats link, Cats-Carrie connection. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you decided to transfer podcast to book like you know there's you obviously have dug really deep into it but you're covering it in just a an, an audio format and then now you're adding more to it and putting it in print and you know for to some of it you said it's like it's cool to have a documented history but at the other point like we just talked earlier like it's a moment it's a snapshot from today because then yeah. the bad cinderellas and everything in the future until you do second versions you, know, you, <laughs> you update them yeah but um but like how did you decide to make that change in format i think um i was always surprised that there wasn't um there was obviously the the ken mandelbaum book but that was written just after the show closed and really nothing had been written much about the show ever since um, with the kind of feeling of retrospect. And the interesting thing about Carrie is that, um, unlike most flops, it kind of had this renaissance. Through the 90s, there was this huge fan demand for bootleg recordings and photos and mm. reviews and stuff. And then 
the, the writers kind of continually refused to have anything to do with it until um, 2009 when they started to rewrite it. And there was a revival of the show uh, in 2012, which is quite unique, you know, in the world of flops. So um, I think when we were doing the podcast, we were kind of releasing the episodes a bit on the fly. The more... Um, people we spoke to who had been connected with the show, the more contacts we were making. And because we were really sort of recording it as we went along, we had this backlog of people really that we would have loved to include in the podcast, but we never got round to kind of, we tried to retrospectively slot a few people in later on, but we kind of told the story chronologically. So it was a bit difficult to do mm. that. So um, we had this amazing list of people that um, I knew that I would love to speak to about the show. And then as, as kind of COVID restrictions eased off and it was possible to go out and go to archives and libraries, um, I was able to kind of find uh, interview recordings from the time and, you know, technical drawings of the set and all this kind of cool stuff. So it just kind of, there was just so much more material that I thought could be shaped into a book and, and kind of, tell a bit dive a bit more into the kind of cultural history of what was going on at the time of the show as i say mm -hmm. to kind of figure out a bit more about why the show happened why it flopped not just what happened um yeah and i kind of spoke to i was very lucky in that i managed to speak to someone at methuen which is a theater publisher um and and the guy there had actually listened to the podcast which kind of gave me this head start i suppose and he kind of saw the the value in that deeper dive into the show and yeah i was just hugely lucky uh, to kind of have that connection and and here we are yeah were you able to talk to anybody that went to that first three weeks in the english countryside yeah we spoke to um a couple of audience members who'd seen it there um it's it, we knew that we wanted to kind of tell more than the story that existed on wikipedia if that makes sense there's yeah. this kind of top yeah. line story of the show and all this crazy stuff that supposedly happened we knew that we wanted to get a broader story um so we wanted to speak to not just the people who wrote the show but the cast and then people who were backstage people who saw the show people who worked in the theaters that it was on to kind of get this 360 degree kind of picture of what had happened and, and, mm -hmm. and different perspectives so yeah we spoke to people and and you know people's memory it's it's interesting it's been a really interesting study of people's memories because there are these these totally. kind of urban legends that have developed and people start to tell those stories and then they're like oh maybe that didn't happen the way i remember this is actually what i remember and you kind of start to pick their their brain and it's a long time ago you know it's 35 years ago so i can't remember why well, i was i was like three 35 years ago but like i could, <laughs> most people can't remember what they were doing that long ago so to kind of pick these details out of people and get them to to, to recall these really fantastic stories has just been such a pleasure yeah, it's such a good point, too, because like I've talked to so many different productions over the years and it's like I can have with somebody who just finished their tour or are still in like on their show yeah. doing cats. I'm getting like deep dives into the yeah, analysis yeah. of the yeah. characters yeah. Then I talked to somebody on like the third tour in 87 <laughs> and they're like, yeah, here's kind of the loose. But like they remember the stories about being on tour and the other stuff, but like yeah, exactly. the, the their character analysis, they remember the the basics. And so yeah. it is an interesting dive into that of like having so many years of that. Yeah. I also love that, you know, that they revived the show because it gives me hope that maybe the 2019 Cats movie yeah. will get a, another light mm. light of day because they've all done the exact same thing. <laughs> they've all stepped away from it. No one wants to be associated yeah, with so it. You think but they, there's, so you think that could hope. be like a re-release, a re-edit at some point in the future? <laughs> I, I still firmly believe that if you took the what they shot, yeah. there, there's probably a good movie there, but the current edit choices were 
were questionable, in my interesting, opinion. Interesting, interesting. Well, here we are. Maybe in 35 years, we'll be back talking about the yeah, we'll be right, yeah. <laughs> I hope in 35 years, this podcast is not still going. Uh, but yeah, there will be a new medium anyways. I, yeah. Apple just launched all their yeah, stuff, yeah. and there's going to be some, some VR and AI <laughs> stuff coming in here. Yeah. So t- tell me a little bit more about the other cat's influences, because like, there's, there's obviously the Betty Buckley. There's the, the show kind of being on at the same time. Um, what other cats influences you find? Cause I know you mentioned you talked to, about some of the book. Yeah. So I think like the interest, the biggest obvious thing is that the cats was just dominating Broadway at the time. And I think, uh, you know, other writers, other composers, producers were looking at it and thinking, how do we replicate this success? And cats obviously originally was directed by Trevor Nunn, who was the joint artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare the Royal Shakespeare Company. So um, he, his, his kind of co-artistic director was Terry Hans, who would direct Carrie. So there's a really kind of, um, you know, two directors who are very close. Trevor Nunn gets this enormous international success with Cats. And later, he also directs Les Miserables. Um, so Terry Hans, presumably, I mean, Terry Hans sadly is no longer around to, to tell this story, but presumably Terry was looking on and thinking, you know, how do I get a piece of this this mega musical action, you know, what could I adapt for the stage that, um, that could mm-hmm. kind of do this huge Broadway piece. Um, and I think, you know, that, that's kind of the first, the first connection, I guess, is that, you know, it's a British show. They're both British mega musicals that tried to make yeah. it big in New York. And one of them did, and one of them didn't. And what, what are the kind of reasons behind that? Um, but there's, there's also lots of crossover in terms of personnel and people who are involved, you know, um, Betty Buckley is the obvious one. She, she did her time in both Cats and Carrie, uh, one of course being more successful than the other. Um, Charlotte D'Amboise who played Chris, the, the, the kind of mean girl in Carrie was also a big Cats person. She'd been in, I think the first national tour. She met her husband, uh, Terrence Mann on the show and, uh, uh, a great, a great kind of Cats romance there. Liz Calloway, who's played Grizabella many times, I think, um, times, yep. was in the in the workshop of Carrie before it even kind of made it to the stage. Lilius White was in Carrie too. Another Gris- like loads of Grizabellas are basically Grizabellas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think yeah, it's it's this really interesting look at Broadway in the eighties and this kind of this kind of community of people who played similar roles and you know would audition for similar shows. But, you know, this, this show just didn't take off. And so it's, it's kind of interesting to see how those careers have kind of progressed over the years and how this, this, this you know, supposed flop didn't stop these people from becoming huge Broadway stars in the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, as the, as the actor and the performer, you're kind of like, it's a job at some point too. Like, you know, they're not yeah. the, the source material. They're not writing. They're not directing. They're performing. So as long as they can go out and belt. Um, but yeah, it is, there's, there's so much and there's still even, you know, today we still see stuff come up and down all the time and there's a lot of IP turned to musicals and, uh, but back then it's very different. And I think that's what makes this one so unique. And also just, it's kind of a weird story to begin with, you know, like it's an interesting (laughs) choice of all the things to pick. Yeah. I mean, there was a, you know, people always say, you know, this show would never have worked on Broadway. The plot's too crazy. But like I say, the plot of cats is possibly crazier. The plot of, uh, you know, if you try and explain the plot of Starlight Express to someone or, you know, even stuff like Avita, you know, if you try and say, Oh yeah, we're doing this, this, uh, this new musical about a dictator's wife, you know, people, I would like that's crazy but you know um, most Broadway musicals are a bit crazy if you spell out the plot totally <laughs> totally we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back for more of The Wrong Cat Died 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's talk a little bit about cats in general. Not not related to, uh, to Carrie, but um, how, how much, you know, like, how much are you a fan of it? How much do you know? I mean, how many times have you seen it? Like, give me your cat's experience. So I got to admit, I am not the biggest fan of cats. <laughs> I've seen, okay. seen the show once a long time ago, and obviously the movie. I think I, for some reason I've seen the movie twice. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm one of the few people who has uh, in the in the cinema and then on TV as well. So yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I just cats is one of those shows. You know, people who say they can taste colors you know when people say oh i can i get when someone says a color or says their name they can kind of taste it in their mouth i kind of get that with cats in a weird way as soon as people start talking about cats i get this weird allergic reaction (laughs) to it and i kind of struggle struggle with it a bit but i'm fascinated by it because it is just this you know it is there's just this army of people who have been in it and who who love the show so much i find it really fascinating i just couldn't explain the plot to you if you asked me to (laughs) I, and that's so. I think that's what's so unique about the show is that I've never met anybody that that's the most articulate version of not liking it that I've heard. Because <laughs> most people are just exactly that. It's like I can just tell it's not my yeah. cup of tea. It's not my not my particular show. But there's never been a real visceral of like, here's my critically why I don't like this and why I don't like that. It's just more of like, yeah, it's kind of a, yeah. a little stupid, a little dumb, not my, my, not my thing. And and there are <laughs> other people like that are obsessed. And so. I've been like waiting early on when I started this, I wanted to find someone who hated it to talk to, but like hated, hated it. And every person I met and I'm like, why'd you hate it? And they're like, I just (laughs) didn't like it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, that's not a reason. Um, so it is kind of interesting because it is one of those that's like, it's an easy punchline. It's an easy thing to say like, yeah, it wasn't really for me, but there's, it's really hard to articulate the why. Yeah. There's something quite odd about, I think there's, it's when people talk about this uncanny valley thing, you know, where, where they're, they're not r- real cats, but they pretend to be real cats and they're kind of all up in your face. That, yeah, something about it just makes me kind of shiver a little bit. <laughs> do, you, do you dislike cats? No, do you, do you dislike cats, cats? Yeah, I don't like cats either. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I think it's probably it. Yeah, I love dogs. Someone should, someone should make a dog musical and I'd be there. But I mean, yeah, cats, not my, not my animal. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, so maybe that's why. Maybe I'm literally allergic to cats and cats. This is this is what we're trying to figure out here. Is is, is what caused? How old were you when you saw it the first time? Were you a kid or um, were you? I was like, a teenager. I think I was on a school trip to the West End. I guess. Um, and I, this is the thing. I really can't remember a huge amount about it. And I think in my head, I kind of have pieced it together over the years. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, "Is this what cats is? This is crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense." Um, 
And I, yeah, I think, you know, as mad as Carrie is, at least there's a sort of vague plot in there somewhere. And at least, you know, the characters have got things on their minds and, and things to do. But cats just seems to be a lot of cats, you know, walking around and getting getting sad and angry and, and it's yeah. it's very dance heavy yeah. and so if yeah, you're not a, like i'm not a dancer and yeah. so i'm like i'm not i'm like oh that looks really hard but i'm yeah. not like the choreography is more of just like a i'm a spectator not a understanding anything about it yeah exactly i think that's why you know i do find it really fascinating i think you know i appreciate that the, the dancing and the choreography is so is is amazing and and you know the people in the show must be amazingly talented and i think what i found from looking into carrie so much is the thing that interests me is is the kind of context of how something came together and, and i think the story of cats itself the making of cats is a really fascinating story and the branding of cats i you know i work in marketing and and the story of how cats became this kind of worldwide phenomenon through its mm-hmm. through branding and the way it was promoted so differently to to other shows at the time i think that side of things really fascinates me the kind of story of cats fascinates me a bit less. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's mass appeal because it's because there's so little plot. You almost don't even need to be able to yeah. understand the language. Like it's it's translate. Like I could go see the German version in German, yeah. not speak German, and still follow most. Exactly. Of it. Like I'm pretty sure I'd be able to comprehend. I mean, I guess I for sure now would. But like yeah. even before, it's like you'd get the general idea of this one they don't like. She comes back yeah. to celebrate her at the end. Like that's that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. So it is interesting to hear that of the. You didn't see it, but you, so you didn't see, you would have been before the street tugger. So you would have been, I, I was like, could that yeah, have been yeah. the reason? But no, no you would have been. I, I've heard about that. this. I've heard about the rapping. And yeah, no, I don't think that was it. I, I wish, maybe I saw it on tour or something because yeah, I can't even, I, I feel like if there was someone really famous in it, I would remember that, but I don't mm-hmm. think there even was. So, now, have you, you seen know, the VHS 1998 like stage pro shot no. version? I guess it's not a pro shot. Yeah. They actually did. So you should watch that okay. and then come that's back and tell me because that's an actual. It's a movie that they did, yeah. but they and they you know they hired all the performers for it, but it's much more of a here's a here's a, a stage version. Yeah, um, that they shot over three months, and that is the original choreography and the essence of cats. And it's like, if that doesn't do it for you, then you're not in. Okay. But like seeing it once and then seeing the 2019 movie are very different. Yeah, exactly. That's why I feel unqualified to be on your show <laughs> because I, yeah, I feel like I've missed the kind of quintessential cats experience. So I'll go and find this VHS and, and watch it. And- well, I, I've wanted John for a while because I do like, I've always thought when, when people go to the Broadway podcast network, I do think that we sit in this weird little bubble on the side yeah. of, of the, you know, like I've, I always, when you look at the amount of shows and the, for theater people, there's like hundreds of amazing shows, but you have like a diversity and inclusion one. You have someone about producing and then you've got someone about auditioning. And then I'm like, then you got you and I over <laughs> here exploring the essence of these like very one strange show. shows yeah. of one show. And like, you know, what happened in those, you know, in those moments. And so yeah. it's always been fun to kind of have, you know, our, our logos are usually together yes. when they, yeah. when they do stuff and it makes it fun. They, they put it in like the obsession category on the yeah. homepage because it's just so, yeah. so in depth rather than just broad. It's like these two have, pro- these two have problems. Yeah. So if you want to go, go sort those out with the two of them, come join. Um, let's do a little cats rapid fire, okay. which might be hard if, you, if you're not as familiar, but I'll, I'll so if you, best. I can help out here because there's only one important question and, and I'm going to be mad if you pick Grizabella now, because <laughs> if you, 
if you don't have an opinion, then you should at least agree with me. Um, but if you could go and play one cat <sighs> for one night, who would you want to perform as? So I can't choose Grizzabella. That's what you're saying. You can. <laughs> no, no, no. Grizzabella's the last question if she's the right jellical choice. I think the good thing from what I understand about Grizzabella is she doesn't have a huge amount to do until like the last 20 minutes of the show. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's on stage 15, <laughs> about 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah. So that isn't a bad answer for this. But that appeals to my sense of like, you know, I'm the main event here. I'm, the, you know, I'm what you've all paid your money for. Here I am. So I'm going to go with Grizzabella, I think. I, know that's I think that's a great out, but... answer for this. No, that's a great answer for this because you get to sing the the yeah. one song that everyone knows. You're on stage for, yeah, about 15 minutes, yeah, a little yeah. bit in the first act, a little bit in the second act. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's a, and it's always it's like this, you know, the, the kind of celebrity or the minor celebrity. We have this kind of minor celebrity here in the UK called Jay McDonald, who I don't expect you to know, but she's this kind of TV host. And she's kind of like she's kind of a bit of a gay icon and she's also she's like everyone's mum basically she usually presents the show about cruises which kind of gives you the kind <laughs> yeah. of level and somehow she often ends up playing grizabella in tours of cats and i kind of find that kind of amazing you know she's like yeah i'll do i'll do nothing else in in terms of theater <laughs> or performing but i will be grizabella and cats because i get to do like 20 minutes and the big song at the end and everybody loves me for it so yeah Shout out to uh, Yeah, it, it, it is where, if you're going to stunt cast. Yeah, exactly. Grizabella is where oh, you can yeah. stunt cast, which they have. I mean, the very first one I saw was Leona, Leona Lewis. Yeah. And they've had a few over the years yeah. that um, it, it's not a show you can generally do that because it's like they're in full makeup and costume. Yeah, and like you're yeah. losing some of the essence of like the ma major celebrity. But as long as they're a powerful singer yeah. and can belt, belt memory, then yeah, you can do there that. I love it. Um, we'll see if uh, I can get your, Thank you. if I can get her to come on, get her to come Dang, on. For that. Oh my God. That would be incredible. I mean, you would, yeah, it would, yeah. The, the UK gays would be, would be downloading <laughs> in their drives. Let me see um, the details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who are your favorite and least favorite cats characters? Do you have a, can you even name the ones that you love and dislike? Oh my God. This is like a test. Um, so who's Jason Derulo? <laughs> That's Tugger, Rum Tug yeah, Tugger. Yeah, him. I, yeah, I think everything about um, the fact that it's Jason Derulo and the name as well freaks me out a bit too. Terrence Mann played Rum Tug Tugger. I He's, know that. Yeah, Terrence Mann. That's, that's the one fact that I bring to the show today. But um, let's go with least favorite for him. And favorite, oh my God. Can you give me some tips? Um, well, so let's go off the movie. Uh, did you like Taylor Swift? Did you like Bomb Arena? Uh, did you like... Idris Alba is McCavity. Yeah, let's go uh, with Idris. Uh, let's go with Idris for some, you know, some British representation. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah. He plays the villain, but yeah, you know, he's still a villain. Uh, a villain. Yeah. Let's go with Idris. What's his name? Uh, he's McCavity. McCavity. Yeah, I, I've heard that before. Yeah, these names. This is what I mean when when you say these names, I get like a strange taste in my mouth. It's, 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 I don't know what it is. It is. A, they're crazy it is um it makes the i've been using um we've, we've i've had some fun with this because i've been using the ai software and transcription services to do editing for yeah, this podcast yeah. it cannot get the names right it's so far <laughs> like it's so far off it's like comical to see what they Amazing. picked up as mccavity and mistopheles yeah and yeah rum tum tugger and all these things like none of them are are even remotely typed correctly <laughs> maybe you should write but, like a sequel that uses the ai generated cat's names just kind of yeah just oh yeah what it puts it no it's usually like three or four words mashed together <laughs> it's like it's like they picked common words but they're not actually even close Amazing. Brilliant. um 
What's your favorite song from Cats and your favorite song from Carrie? Oh my God. Let's do Carrie because obviously that's. <laughs> um, yeah. I think so. There's two different versions of Carrie, obviously, as I've mentioned, but Alpha Blood, not just because it's the name of the book and the podcast, but Alpha Blood, I think, yeah. is the ultimate ruling song from Carrie. It's, it's this bizarre number at the top of the second act where they kill the pig that they use to cover Carrie with its blood. Um, and it's just this brilliant, memorable number. Um, I love it. Oh, cats, cats, cats. Um, do, do I have to choose a favorite from Cats? What's the one where they... <laughs> so your listeners must be like, who is this guy who doesn't know anything yeah. about Cats and why is he on this Cats podcast? Um, I can't choose Memory because that's kind of the only one I can, can. remember. Yeah. Let's, go with, yeah. let's go with that because I think that's I the mean, only one that sticks in my head from... from uh, it's the only one I knew when I saw it yeah, the first time. Okay. It's, it's, it's fair to pick that. Yeah, but but this is the one I want you... This is the one I want you to think about okay. for me. Um, I argue that I don't think Grizabella is the right jellical choice. So right. I would love to know if, if you're going to defend Grizabella, I'm going to need a real defense. But if not, who right. would you pick as your jellical choice? And we're saying that the, the choice is a good thing, right? It depends on how you want to interpret it. You interpret it. Okay. Well, you know, I feel like... I feel like Grizabella deserves it because she's the kind of the diva star of the show. She deserves the big finale and, you know, she goes up on whatever that, what, mm-hmm. what is that thing? Like a swim? The tire. The tire, it's a tire. tire yeah. to, um, to the heavy side layer. I know that bit. Um, yep. So I suppose that's good. But in terms of the person who should die from cats, probably Jason Derulo, otherwise known as, <laughs> otherwise known as. Um, okay. Probably Jason, because I think he was one of the worst parts of the movie. So let's try let's, so let's kill him off. I like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make your vote, the Rum Tum Tugger. Yeah. For the reason of that you just dislike Jason Derulo. Yeah, yeah. And that's that'll do. I love it. Any reason that's not Grizabella, it can be because of Jason Derulo. That's great. Cool. Let's do that. Let's say that. <laughs> I love it. Um, how can people uh, stay in touch with you? Find the book, uh, like how you know? Let's 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 plug everything here. Yeah, sure. Well, you can download the podcast here on the Broadway Podcast Network. Um, the book is out at the end of July. It's also called Out for Blood. Um, and our socials: we're Out for Blood Pod on Twitter, and Out for if that's still around by the time this episode goes yeah. out, uh, and Out for Blood <laughs> Podcast on on Instagram. And I'm Chris A on Twitter, and Chris A. 3-1 on Instagram. Just a lot of information for you there. But, we'll uh, link them all exactly, so that way it's a lot easier. I, I mean, I have to give you my apologies because I clearly don't know anything about cats. But um, No, but this was super conscience. fun. Yeah, it's, it's in my mind. I think about it a lot. I just don't know a lot about it. But um, yeah, here we are. This was this was awesome. I, I was... I've been fascinated by your show for a long time and <laughs> oh, was so excited you. for the book because of it, it does feel similar. Even though, you know... I, I know nothing about Carrie, you know, very little about cats, like, <laughs> but there's a, there is some history there and I'm glad we got to blur the lines today yeah. um, and share a little bit about that. Exactly. Big up to the eighties Broadway mega musicals, even if exactly. some of them don't work out so well in the end. Some do and some, some do don't. And, some and don't. you know, it's a coin flip, which one should have exactly. the one about, one about murder or the one about murder. They could have both. Uh, yeah. They could have both. They're both about murder at the end exactly, of the day. Exactly. Yeah. There's a great quote from Trevor Nunn that I wrote down here that I'm going to read out about comparing the two. He said that Cats and Carrie both featured barn-sized pieces of scenery flying around in an ostensibly audience-rousing manner, both told stories no one could possibly follow, and both climaxed with Betty Buckley dying amid aphasia-inducing lighting effects. And as we say, one of them did well, one of them didn't. (laughs) And that is probably the best way we can end this. So. 
Thank you so much for coming on. Thank this was you. super fun. Thank you for having me. And, and thanks everyone else for listening to this episode of the Ron Cat Die, the podcast breakdown of the catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else to listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Ron Cat Die, or check our website, theroncatdie.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.